we meet again? The Time Lord and the Toymaker. One final game. It's time. Hello and welcome back to Cloyster Bell, a Doctor Who podcast exploring currently the 60th anniversary. And we're on to the final special, The Giggle. I'm Rob and I am with Liam. Hi Rob, hi everyone. You alright there? Yeah, yeah, all good, not too bad. I trapped my finger in the drawer before, but uh, otherwise, all good. How about Fantastic. You? Oh dear. <laughs> I'm good, thanks. Good, good. Yeah. Oh no. You can just just scream if you need to. Just let it out. No, no. <laughs> it's fine. Ah. No, it's uh, it's all good. I just slightly slightly grazed uh, the finger. It, it stings a little bit, but uh, I'll think I'll survive. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So um, the worldwide premiere. We're here for the final <laughs> final journey. With uh, the fourteenth mm. Doctor, so let's let's get on with it. I think we've got no pre-chat here because we've just done a double bill of recording this and the giggle. I know this and Well Blue Yonder, and I think you're keen to just go to bed probably and cry. I caught my finger in the drawer, Rob. It hurts. Nah, I'm all right. Come on, let's get on with it. The giggle. The giggle. So, um... The giggle of a mysterious puppet is driving the human race insane. When the Doctor discovers the return of a terrifying toy maker, well, the terrifying toy maker, sorry, he faces a fight he can never win. Hmm. So, let's have a look at the cast and crew for this one. The Doctor, of course, was played by David Tennant, Donna Noble, Catherine Tate. Charles Banerjee played Charlie DeMello. The time maker was Neil Patrick Harris, a new face to Doctor Who. What are you most familiar with, Neil, from, Liam? Uh, I've seen him in a few things, but the f- funny enough, the thing that immediately comes to mind for me is Gone Girl. Oh, right. So, John Logie Bird was... <laughs> Logie, Logie Bard? Bear. Logie Bear, yes. <laughs> like like Yogi Bear. Okay, think Yogi Bear. Yeah, yeah. John think Logie Bear. Bear was played by John McKay. Middle-aged man, Ross Gurney. <gasps> Do we need to go on to these supporting extras? <laughs> hey, if they're credited like that, you'd one of the best uh, credits I have ever seen for a character is in one of the... Um, Dirty Harry films. I think it's the the penultimate one, and it's just hysterical woman in shop. His, it's just oh. hysterical woman in shop. Yep, great, great. Put that on your CV. So yeah, uh, carry. <laughs> these are important people, Rob. Um, carry on. I, I might maybe I'll skip over a few people. I'm sorry, people. Shirley Bingham returned, um, played by Ruth Madley. Kate Lethbridge Stewart returned, played by Gemma Redgrave. Melanie Bush, Bonnie Langford, and anyone else noteworthy? Nicholas Briggs, you like him. He played the vi- the Vinks, the Vlinks. Lee Lothian was the voice of Stooky Sue. 
Carl Collins was Sean Temple, Sylvia Novo, played by Jacqueline King, and Yasmin Finley returned as Rose Noble. Am I forgetting anyone? Oh, yeah. Shuti Gatwa was the doctor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Him. Yeah. And uh, hyster- hysterical female customer in the Dirty Harry film was played by Eileen Wiggins. Eileen, Eileen Wiggins. Oh, okay. Eileen Wiggins. His hysterical female customer. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're finally here. It was a three-week journey. It flew by really quick for me. Did it go by quick for you? <clears throat> yeah, very quick. And I have really like. I, I, I got to say, I was some. I've been surprised how much I've really enjoyed David Tennant um, coming back as the Doctor. But I think there was enough of a difference between the fourteenth and the tenth. And I really like this version of the Doctor, and it's just oh, three episodes is not enough. I actually wanted more, but yeah, it had it, uh, the three weeks has gone incredibly quick. Yeah, I actually never thought I'd think I wanted more. <laughs> I thought, yeah, three's more than enough. But now that we're noticing like the growth and the change and the the re- the return to what worked, I think um, yeah, it's a, it's a shame we didn't get more, but maybe a bit more filler or. Maybe if it was like, yeah, if it just fell longer. But mm-hmm. but what I w- but what I will say is, um, and obviously not wanting to, to leap way ahead, but now that we're in a new Doctor's era of Shuti Gatwa, and it's been an interesting regeneration, I don't necessarily want David Tennant to come back. I think it's I think he's had a good run. Yeah. But but in of itself, it would have been quite nice had if we had more episodes of the 14th Doctor before getting to, to the 15th. But anyway. Mm. Yeah, that, that would have been good. So the the story kicks off in Soho in the, the early 1900s. And a man enters the Toymaker's shop. And he wants to buy a doll for Yogi Bear. Um, no, what's he called? L- L- Logi- yeah. John Logie Bear, yeah, Logie Bear. Yeah. Um, for his experiments with television so he gets the Stooky Bill um, prop I don't know too much about the real life history of this but um, it's a thing yeah um, mm-hmm. so this is played in with historical events and the toy maker um, is part of that so they take they take the Stooky Bill mannequin to use and um yeah it, it kind of does the the time maker's giggle uh, neil patrick harris does his first performance of the time maker and the opening scene and um, where he does he puts an accent on then he breaks it briefly and then brings it back and then he's also a bit creepy when he's talking about where he got the hair from for the doll and stuff like that so, do you have any thoughts about this opening scene? Yeah, I really like it. I think it really establishes uh, how creepy that the toy maker is and the, the the setup. I think it was really good. The thing that I that really struck with, stuck with me is it's not said outright, but I think it is very heavily suggested, and especially later on with what takes place um, uh, later on in the episode. Um, but I think it's it's heavily implied that this puppet is sentient, 
and the fact that it's giggling and then ends up being um because of the the, the lights that are on it are very powerful it starts to burn and this is set ablaze um i think there's a heavy suggestion that this thing is sentient and is, is burning to death the, the whole thing is really creepy mm-hmm. uh not just that i mean that in of itself is is really quite creepy and uh the, the stuff of horror but uh yeah i think it's a very strong introduction how about you rob um no i, I thought it was good I, I liked neil's performance initially here but that's that's a good point to make about the doll being kind of sentient because uh, the toy maker was in a story called the celestial toy maker with the first doctor and in that it wasn't explicitly said out loud but i think it was it wasn't implied that the servants of the toy maker were once just regular people that had perhaps lost to him or had been captured by him and used yes and also in that um it, it's one of the the risks that if if um the doctor and the the Stephen and dodo were to lose um the games against the toy maker that um Stephen and dodo would be turned into dolls mm. so it's because uh, we've reviewed uh the celestial toy maker and i know that uh some of our um uh, other Doctor Who podcasts whom we're friends with have, have also looked at it. I think we all agree that um, it was a story with a lot of potential, but it wasn't quite met. I mean, I do, as it is, It's there's four episodes, three of which are missing. We have the final test, which is episode four, The Celestial Toy Maker, which we can actually watch. I do rather like that episode. I think uh, I, I do like it. But the, the previous three episodes, it um, there's a lot of potential there, but it's not quite met. But that idea of being sentient but turned into playthings is quite a creepy idea. And Russell T. Davis has obviously taken that and ran with it, with, uh, with a giggle. So we get that really creepy opening where they say, oh, if only we had like a a moving subject and then and then the mouth kind of falls and Just, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. really creepy. So we're taken to present day. And the doctor's watching all the chaos unfold in the streets. And he tries to reason with someone who comes across as quite stubborn, which is a hint towards what's going on. Why is everyone so aggressive? And the doctor bumps into a man and dances with him, which is the toy maker. Nothing kind of catches his attention initially, though. But then Unit arrives to escort the Doctor away. Donna assists in sorry, Donna insists that they take Wilf away to safety first. Mm-hmm. And this is the, our final farewell to the character. Um, of course, it was it, his final pre, uh, final appearance was the previous episode, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, before they go, the Time Maker is waving on the street. So. Between now and a little bit later, um, the Doctor somehow starts to figure out who he's facing off with, don't you think? Yes, I think uh, the Doctor probably starts to to pick up on something. I think at that point, the Doctor is aware that this character is... um, that there's something up with him when he's just just waving there. Because, um, as you said, he's encountered uh, this character... Uh, in the street who who thinks he's he's right 
uh, you get some uh, information, which is this, this has been going on for two days and everyone just thinks they're right, including this man here, because he's always mm. been right. Um, and then he encounters this this character who's seemingly pretending to be French uh, and dancing in the street. But everyone else is absolutely bonkers and losing their mind. But this man seems focused in the fact that he's looking at the doctor and waving, obviously gets the doctor's attention. Um, the fact that he was dancing with him in the first place uh, sets him apart from everybody else who is, you know, they're, they're either looting or running amok. And this man's just in there uh, dressed as Fred Astaire yeah. <laughs> dancing in the street. Stands out a bit. Mm. So they're taken to an Avenger-style unit <laughs> tower in the middle of London. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, such a such a big thing, like towering over London. Like, do you think this is going to be a big thing if they were to go ahead with like a unit TV show or bring unit back I, in the show? Yeah, I mean, actually, where they've where they've placed it in London, I think, is very realistic because. They've placed it next to the Gherkin, the walkie-talkie, and a few uh, other buildings. And if you've actually been to London, uh, I've got to say, I think it, I think they've really ruined the skyline, skyline of London. It's awful and ugly. Um, and so to, to have the the unit tower, uh, in the, I think it's a very realistic location of, of London. And yeah, it's bloody massive. And yeah, it, it does seem to harken to the Avenger films. Oh, yeah. Definitely inspired. Um, although... Doctor Who had the Valiant kind of before Marvel did the Helicarrier. Blimey, I forgot about the Valiant. Yeah. Yes, you're right, they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite oddly, I, I thought the Valiant might make a return in the show. Well, I, I, know, I know it had like a little cameo in the Poison Sky where they used its fans to blow away their gas. But I, oh, yeah. I, did, I did think maybe the Valiant would return or maybe... I thought it, maybe they can use it in Torchwood where they'll go off and have a little adventure on the Valiant. Yeah. But didn't a lot of people at the time say that the Valiant reminded them of um, Captain Scarlet and the Mysterons? Yeah. And didn't um, didn't Peter Capaldi's doctor mention this when he's on like a jet with Kate Stewart and um, he's talking about doing the Foxtrot with Sylvia Anderson? And he, they, they say, yeah, they say that the Valiant was very Thunderbirds or something like that. Oh, I can't. It rings a faint bell now that you mention it. Yeah. So when they arrive at the unit tower, they meet Shirley, who was a character we'd met in the Star Beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we meet Kate. This is the first time Kate has ever met David's Doctor, I believe, because because Kate Stewart was first introduced in the uh, Matt Smith Matt story. Smith, yeah. yeah, the power did, did of they three. Not, did, did they not meet in the Day of the Doctor, though? Oh, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, she's met him before. She knows him. Yeah. <laughs> um, but never mind that. The Doctor reunites with Mel. Yes. Mel, yeah. blimey. Um, I've always liked Mel as a companion. I know for many years she was regarded as one of the least favourite companions. Um, 
I think the way that she was written in Paradise Towers of being like obsessed with a swimming pool. I mean, I like swimming, but you know, she was obsessed by it. I think is probably was a little bit weak in the writing there. Although I do like mm. Paradise Towers, but on the whole, you know, I liked uh, I liked Mel. But of all the companions to to come back, that was the biggest surprise. And knowing she was coming back, like you, Rob, I think I was really looking forward to seeing well, what they're going to do with the character. You know, Bonnie Langford's you know still going to put in a good performance and probably be with all due respect to how she played it originally, probably be a lot better this time round. Um, and it was just, it was really nice to see her. And I liked how the scene between um, her and David Tennant and, you know, the, the fact that it's just, oh, it's you, you know, <laughs> Sabalom Glitz even gets a mention. I love um, that. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just, it was really nicely done. Uh, it was, it, it was lovely. Yeah. Yeah. I think a dialogue was really good. Like we've kind of we've had a glimpse of where her characters went with like the big finish stuff. We did the Pompeii story with Mel and the Seventh Doctor, the Pfizer Vulcan, and uh, she was very good in that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She was. Um. And I've only listened to a handful more big finishes with Mel. I think. Um. But yeah, I th- I think they've really done the character quite well and uh and and with that in mind i think she was written quite well here as well yeah like a dialogue yeah and we we've actually been sort of like through a period of having a lot of um classic doctor who companions uh, you know making a return not least of all in jodie whittaker's final story um where we had several of them including mel at the does end she of get that. recruited at the end does kate offer her a job uh i possibly I, I cannot remember but for, but the uh but tegan and ace with the with the main uh classic companions in that story i, I mean i did, it's, it's not essential but if i was to make a comparison i actually think mel is utilized much better here than they were in that story like what like mel's used for her for her skill set you mean and she's it makes yeah, sense yeah yeah I, I mean I, th- I think I also quite liked the fact that um, it-, it was nice just to see that they were both happy to see each other. Whereas because with, with Jodie's uh, Doctor, there obviously there was a bit of a history between, I don't know, it was just a bit frosty um, between Tegan and Ace. And um, In fact, we've seen a lot of different reactions. Like, like we had Sarah Jane first in school reunion and hers was a joy mixed with like, also a little bit of resentment as well yeah um the but there wasn't uh, any of that with with mel no yeah and with joe there seemed to be sort of like happiness but with a bit of sadness Mm. um this was just pure joy and uh it it made a nice refreshing change and actually it kind of like ties in with 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 mel as a character anyway especially how she was introduced in time of the rani you know she was just a companion who enjoyed being with the doctor and loved the adventure so uh, i suppose it ties in yeah it was just it was just nice it was just felt joyous mm. uh, we are introduced to an alien race the vlinks uh and the vlinks has given everyone's edex lots of weird words i'm throwing around here um but it's all relevant do you think the vlinks could be a recurrent thing if they had a unit element going forward i think so yeah yeah Makes sense. 
So Kate disables her Z Dex and turns into a bit of a dick. <laughs> Just a bit, yeah. Um, it seems that it doesn't affect TARDIS people, TARDIS, TARDIS travelers rather. Um, but Mel's wearing one anyway. Although Kate's travelled in the TARDIS, but only once. Not a seasoned traveller. <laughs> yeah, not a seasoned traveller, so yeah. But but yeah, we, we see the effects of that and how they couldn't force this Z-Dex onto the population. But it, it's it's a it's a plot device that um that's needed for, so that the mm-hmm. core cast can kind of get on with the story unaffected. Otherwise they would the doctor and Donna would be just isolated like a total um kind of body snatcher scenario where the whole world's um their enemy yeah i think uh, given the running time i think as a writer you would really struggle with um i mean if this was a two-parter you'd probably be able to deal with it but having a, a one hour and one minute um story i think you would really struggle having uh, the doctor and donna isolated and you know yeah it's it's it is a useful um plot device yeah and you can actually see how it's handled well we've already seen the effects of it in the street yeah but with the fact that we have an ally of the doctor and the fact that i can make her extremely paranoid uh emphasizes in a really good way the uh, the threat that they're facing so yeah mm. donna figures out that um the signal that they're hearing is a is a tune because she saw the signal as a wavelength which peaked mm. and declined and she uses her knowledge as a parent she's she's taught rose and um, was at the recorder um for a long while and um yeah she sees it as this musical tune and when i think it's mel that hums it it kind of affects everyone around them because it's kind of ingrained in the in their subconscious because the, we've all been listening to it all this time it's a bit like the silence hiding on um the moon landing stuff, almost actually. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But with this, it's it's um, Stooky Bill has been there on every screen <laughs> for all time. Yeah, um, which is it's a nice creepy element, a nice giggle. So they find a match that it is Stooky Bill, um, so that they know what it is. And this is where the doctor says he has a memory suspecting that it it is the toy maker coming back and he gives unit permission to use their their galvanic beam did you assume kate was asking his permission or not necessarily no i think so because it's um they were saying that they wanted that, that well they actually needed uh, official permission in order to do it yeah and the politicians weren't weren't doing it there was a nice little scene of um of a politician basically saying, you know, I don't care about you, ordinary people, and Donna basically go, no change there then. And let's face it, it's true. Yeah. The character's clearly supposed to be a Boris Johnson-like character, but insert any politician and the joke works. Um, but obviously tying it into the Peter Capaldi era where in extreme situations like this, the Doctor becomes, what was it, like President of the Earth? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, which is really, but okay, whatever. I think it ties into that. The fact that in in this scenario, the Doctor gives permission. So like, great, that's what I needed. And then she can crack on and do it. Yeah, I didn't think of that comparison. When like, 
I remember when Campaldi was on that jet and he's mm. saying something like um, putting an idiot in a chair and Kate's like, if you say so, Mr. President. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Kate offers Donna a job? Oh, I like this yeah. moment, yeah. I don't know if we'll actually see Donna again. I'm I'm suspecting maybe not. No, but there was the fact of uh, 80 grand, make it 100, what was it, 150? Yeah, was it, wasn't it 60, holiday. make it 120 with five weeks holiday or something, yeah? Yeah, I was like, done, I was like, get it. Yeah, uh, yeah I like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I would have just been like, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 60 grand, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's like um, a lot of these companions must be on different salaries. That that, that makes it awkward. <laughs> yeah. Like how, I mean... Do you think they recruit every single, uh, every single uh, com- Earth companion? Well, I think so because look back to the the fiftieth day of the Doctor when we went to the Black Archive and we had loads of pictures of people there, and I don't I don't know if that was implying that they'd been there. Well, Polly was introduced in the War Machines as a what was it as a secretary? Do you think she's still a secretary for Unit, or would she have gotten a promotion? Oh. Or a typist? Was it a typist? I don't. I don't remember what it was. Mm. Mm. Need, to, uh, need to watch the war machines yeah. at some point. But oh. anyway, so the doctor wants to go and visit the scene of Stooky Bill's broadcast. So they, they head off, but instead they come across the toy maker's shop, and they meet him. He's waving through the window, and they go in, and we finally had this big confrontation. We get a brief colorized flashback to the Celestial Toy Maker with Michael mm-hmm. Goff and William Hartnell colorized. Um, did you like this? Uh, yeah, yeah, effective? I did actually. I know it was. Uh, I thought it was effective. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's always necessary this kind of stuff. Um, so I'm glad I'm glad they put it in. Uh, well, you say that. Um, I mean, the fact that you could actually argue that the fact that uh, it, we're being told that the doctor recognizes him and that there's a history with him is enough. But yeah, it does it it does add uh, more weight to it. So yeah, and it was a nice surprise actually. It, uh, I wasn't expecting them to do it, but the fact that we've got uh, colorized brief clips of Michael Goff as the celestial toy maker and. Um, and uh, William Hartnell as the Doctor. Yeah, uh, it it was it was nice. It was it was really it was really good to see actually. Yeah, be a nice surprise if they inserted clips from the missing episodes. <laughs> that would blow everyone's minds. Yeah, they missed a trick with that one. I think now that you mention it, but um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, why didn't they do that? Ugh. What are they like? So they go into this toy emporium and the Doctor and the Toy Maker have a bit of a standoff. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about the history of games and, and balls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then um, it's kind of cool how Donna just throws herself in the middle of that as well. Kind of shows her strength here. The Toy Maker kind of leaves and they follow him into his domain. So we have a, a bit of a labyrinth of rooms here. And corridors and things. The doctor does mention that he casted out salt at the end of the universe and perhaps let him in. Yes. Is that something yeah, you yeah. want to discuss? Um 
No, well, just briefly, I just, because uh, when we were discussing Wild Blue Yonder, we, we mentioned uh, the souls and the fact that the Doctor, uh, at the end of that episode, mentions that maybe he shouldn't have done it because it was the end of the universe, you know, the barriers between the things that separate are thin and creating a universe or something could have been let in. And we were like, that's clearly going to be picked up, especially because it's sort of like, we will focus on this for a moment and they go eh, it's probably nothing and it's like oh the fact that you've said it's clearly nothing it's going to be something and indeed it is and this is sort of like the explanation of how the celestial toy maker has come from his domain which is what the hartnell doctor encountered him and this is how he's been able to somehow come into our world yeah um i didn't think the salt thing would be reintroduced so soon i was wondering if maybe it was just like something for further down the line it is a little bit because I think we do get a reference to this. Um, it's, it's something like the Celestial Toy Makers minions or something. Will, oh, it's Legion will, or something like that. Legion, that's it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've also got the um, the Star Beast's boss out there too. Yes, that's true. I forgot, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about quite a few that. unanswered yeah. questions in these. Hmm. So the Doctor and Donna frustratingly get separated. Like, why run off and shut doors and things? But Yeah, I, I was expecting it to happen. I thought it was, uh, and I don't mean this in a sort of like a negative way. I, um, I thought it was obvious that at some point they would become separated in this these never-ending corridors. Yeah, but, but right way... after the Doctor says, like, I don't think I can save your life this time, and basically yeah, saying he, was... her life is the most important thing, then he's so reckless to get separated. Yeah, the way in which it was done was, was a bit weird it felt very rushed it was it, i got it was peculiarly do, peculiarly it was oddly done yeah but we all make mistakes <laughs> yeah yeah after they're separated they each enter a room the doctor enters a room with a man on the floor turns out to be the guy who bought the suki bill doll yeah and as he picks him up turns out he is a puppet on strings where um like a dismembered head on a on a wooden body, which is quite quite creepy mm. and this kind of fits in with what we were talking early about earlier about the toy maker using people, and yeah this guy did say he played a game and lost, and now he became the the toy maker's plaything mm-hmm. so yeah that that's kind of confirms that. Uh, then, of course, the the toy maker is towering over him, and then we get, end up getting David Tennant's head on the puppet itself as well. So the Doctor runs away. Donna, however, meets Stooky's wife and the Babbies. <laughs> yes, very creepy scene. Yeah, oh, that was. Yeah, I wasn't yeah, scared. <laughs> Just saying, it was. No, no, uh, no. I wasn't scared as well, but I did think it was effectively done. It's certainly creepy, yeah. and um, again, I think it ties into the uh, the very first toy maker story, but in a way where um, you know where it's said that when you when the toy maker turns you into a doll you maybe have some sort of autonomy but not much and you somehow like represent the the personality of the toy maker and you be you become a bit sort of evil and i think this is represented in this scene as well yeah which also makes it a bit more tragic 
Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I was quite glad Donna acted the way she done. With the way the way she did, you can tell I'm tired. Um, <laughs> because you know when you're watching films that are so ridiculous, you're screaming at them like, "Just fight back, for God's sakes! Don't be a wuss." And that's precisely what Donna does. You know, she's got a lot to fight for, but mm-hmm. she doesn't put up with it. She just um... <laughs> no. She uh, she gets this the, the mother puppet and smashes it a bit against the wall, and then and then tells the babies. <laughs> <laughs> basically threaten the babies and they sort of like scuttle off in the uh into the corner yeah it's sort of it's very effective there's, there's something darkly comic about the way that it's handled mm. i've got to admit but i do i do like it yeah kind of shows our just determination and our strength and stuff yeah mm-hmm. so soon enough the doctor and donna are reunited and uh the time maker puts on a show telling telling donna what happened to the doctor after mm. after she kind of left him um, so we get we get Amy, um, and Amy Pond. <laughs> Amy Pond. He loved the redheads. <laughs> yeah, I I love this uh, bit of the the story. Actually, I think this is probably my favourite scene because um, I think previously when we've discussed about um, the you know some of the, the the companions' departures in the in the series. I've said in our previous podcasts on several occasions that um, I wish that the, the show, embr- you know, if you're going to go down a particular route, embrace, um, you know, the, the death of a companion. I don't mean gratuitously and just doing it for the sake of it. But if, if you're going to go down a certain route, like the way that uh, Bill Potts's character is written out, you know, um, they feel like they go down a particular route and then decide to pull back on it and it kind of cheapens it. I actually think what Russell T. Davis does with the, uh, with this scene is actually, um, in a really good way, basically say that line of thought is nonsense because these are still massive moments, and it's sort of mocked because the, 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 you know the, uh, you've got the toy maker basically saying you know Amy Pond was touched by the by the weeping angel, and then he goes uh, she died of old age. Well, that's all right then. And then you, I do love the bit when she goes, and then he met Clara and she was killed by a bird. And the way that, the, just the facial expression of just the absurdity of it. If you if you watch Face the Raven, it's a great moment, but just take it out of context. Yeah, sounds ridiculous. ridiculous. And uh, he, do, he does play that, just that, that brief moment. It's just, it's just brilliant. And then the doctor going, yeah, but she still lives through her final moments of life. Well, that's all right then. Uh, and just go yeah that's actually really quite you know uh and then and then he met uh bill potts not stucky potts but lady oh yeah uh, lady not stucky bill but lady bill <laughs> yeah yeah that's it you know, you've nailed this rob it's really good i just got it but she was killed by the cybermen she still lives on through her subconscious well that's all right then <laughs> it's just it is really, really good. It's very effective. Yeah, it, it, it's brutally honest. Like, yes, the Doctor yeah. has obviously convinced himself that it's all right, you know, mm. for whatever reason. But it's not. <laughs> no, no, it's not. And it's just, and then even Donna's just going, "Is this all true?" And then, and then when he bring, and then, but the, the toy maker mentions that, again the flux. Yeah. Um, which, uh, when we were reviewing Wild Blue Yonder, because uh, I said the flux was a good idea 
there were good moments in it some moments that we didn't and we weren't quite keen on the the timeless child but nonetheless despite that we didn't want that we didn't want it to be completely ignored or rewritten out of the series or, or whatever and i'm so pleased that Russell T. Davis has actually taken it on board. And I think he's utilised the, the the ideas and the effect that's had on the Doctor very effectively. And the fact that when the, it's at this, you know, obviously we'll be building up to this through the, the mentions of his uh, previous, comp- uh, previous friends. But um, the Doctor at this moment then challenges the Toymaker to a game. Yeah, because the, the Toymaker is like a slave to his nature. Like he can't refuse, which is which is interesting about him. The time maker, but before they do play, he says like he's toyed with supernovas and turned galaxies into spinning tops, um, put God in a jack in the box. Um, he does say he's made a jigsaw out of the Doctor's history. Mm-hmm. Does that um tell you anything in your imagination? Um, I think it's that the the continuity of the show it's basically it's it's a mess um through one wonderful line through this brilliant character it it everything's canon yeah so it's a complete another mess it's a jigsaw doesn't matter what it is um i've never had a problem with the doctor being half human in the tv movie right it's part of the jigsaw it's canon i love that you've Um, said that because i've been thinking about that line today and what it means to me and I thought, yeah, going under the continuity or the lack of, rather. <laughs> yes. So it's just like, don't, don't worry about it. Don't focus on it. Don't get hung up about it. It doesn't make sense. Hey, whatever. It was the toy maker. Um, so, yeah, great. Yeah. Um, oh, he sealed the master in his tooth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which uh, comes comes back at the end. It does. Um, but he but he also mentions um, something else, which is yeah. He says um, there's one player he didn't dare face, the yeah. one who waits. Yeah. He saw it hiding and he ran. Rory, no, um, yeah, and so that was that was interesting. Like, it, it's weird that you. Tease something that's yet to come, even though you want to defeat the doctor. Although I say he wants to defeat the doctor, you know what he never admits that he what what he wants. Hmm. It's what his prize will be. After this, after this game, where they split the deck, the time maker's gonna tell him what his prize will be, but he never says it. Yeah, that's true, actually, yeah. So, I don't know. So, yeah, um, he who waits, we'll see. We'll just have to wait. We're, we're the ones who have to wait. Um, <laughs> so, they play cutting the cards, and the toy maker wins. Now, this implies that the Celestial toy maker was their first match, yeah? Um, yes. But... Uh, I'm not kind of contradicting this, but in the Celestial Time Maker, it's not their first meeting. In fact, they've been playing this game for they've been playing off each other for a while. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you think that that was an oversight or? It's uh, well. It doesn't mean they've played games, d- though. 
I guess. No, true, but it, I mean, it doesn't quite make sense. Even in the the context of the story, it it, it does feel like a little bit of a cheat. Um, saying you know, because there's even a line um, earlier on in the episode where um, I think it's Donna who says to the Doctor, saying that you know, each oh, it's actually when they're they're lost in the corridors. Um, she she mentions how each new game is a completely new game. So, you know, it, it sets the playing, you know, it's, it sets everything back as a, le- a level playing field. Um, so... Is this where she says, like, the dice don't know what they rolled before, something like that? That's the one. Yeah, and um, she's kind of quoting her dad. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, which I thought was a nice touch, you know, remembering... Uh, remembering yeah, that Jeffrey character. Noble. So, yeah, yeah. So that, so, so that was nice that, uh, that he gets a nod. Um, but that would then mean... So, so, so taking that into context, this doesn't quite make sense. No, because when the Celestial Toymaker first appeared in the show back in the mm. 60s, he yeah. was introduced as a recurring villain who the Doctor was aware of and uh, the Doctor has defeated before, but he can't fully defeat him, so eventually he'll rebuild his domain and come back. Yeah. That was like hev- heavily implied. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was. And then you have the Trilogic game. And then he manages to defeat the Toymaker, but there's a, there's a use, but through a bit of trickery using the Toymaker's own voice. So the suggestion that that was actually round one of the game, then this card game is round two. So now that the Toymaker's won that, they're, um, they're both quits. Mm. Yeah, it's. It, it, I mean, it's it's all right, but it doesn't. Yeah, it's a good it's a good concept though. This best best out of three, gets yes, yeah, yeah. Um, good plot point to get to the story moving. So, unit destroys this satellite, which is not that relevant because it doesn't do much. And the toy maker arrives at unit tower. That's where we get his whole um, song and dance routine with the Spice Girls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry. This is the scene itself is good. It's just. What do you think the song didn't go? Or I hate the Spice Girls, and I mean hate. Like, well, like, yeah, like I really like how them. I hate Adele. Oh, do you hate Adele? Yeah, yeah that. Look, look, look. There's not many people mm. in this world that I hate. Just let me hate someone, Liam. I just hate. No, no, hate it's Adele. fine. Well, actually, I've got problems with Adele as well. So you know, yeah, just crack on. But um. Right, during the 90s, uh, when the Spice Girls first came onto the scene and they were massive, I hated them. I didn't get the popularity of them. I thought the songs were crap. And I had to live through those years of the mass popularity. You couldn't get away from them. And, you know, you were supposed to have a favourite and fancy them. And I was constantly asked, who's your favourite? And it's just like, I'm not interested. I detest them. It's like, no, no, come on. You've got to like them. I don't freaking hate them. Then finally, when they left and they were off the scene, it was just like, oh, thank God, no more Spice Girls. But then I forgot the horrible, horrible thing that is nostalgia. No sooner were they off the scene than everyone was looking back at them with a sense of nostalgia. Then they came back for the 2012 Olympics and then didn't, weren't they in some Christmas adverts for some supermarket? You couldn't get away from them, Rob. And now... Blah! And then they're in, and then they were used in this freaking thing. 
I hate the Spice Girls. <laughs> well, I don't hate them, and I did like them at the time. So you were part of the problem. I was part of the I problem. Hate you, Rob. Yeah. No, <laughs> uh, but with that in mind, I didn't think it was a good fit. I didn't see the relevance of putting it in. But um, yeah, I, I like. But, but actually, may, maybe the the Spice Girls are uh, were are an evil invention of the toy maker. Yeah, that makes, that makes complete sense. Yeah, mm. I, I liked Neil Patrick Harris's kind of energy in this as well. Mm-hmm. It was fine. It was all good. But yeah, maybe the song was a bit out of place for me. I didn't hate it. It was just like, oh, you've got to be kidding! It's 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 them again, isn't it? blah but um the the scene itself was was actually rather good um turning uh some of the unit troops into into um inflatable balls oh yeah um and that uh, killed them so that's like mm. a subtle but horrific thing yeah 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 it, it is so it's sort of like a, a fun slash grotesque way of, of killing them uh but then all the the the, the rose petals with the with the uh, with a bullet so he can't be shot i gotta say i did i did find it rather funny when he starts dancing with uh, uh kate stewart and then <laughs> just basically spins her so fast that she slams into a wall <laughs> mm. and um, then he does it with mel and she just honestly, tornadoes down the room yeah I, I did think for a moment given uh bonnie langford's uh background that we were going to maybe see like more of her they'll dancing, have a big but... dance off and she'll save the world <laughs> <laughs> well no not <laughs> extent although now i wish that happened um but i did think we were maybe going to have to see more of uh, bonnie langford dancing but uh, but we didn't but uh, i thought uh, apart from the song uh i did think it was a very good scene hmm. imagine if it was doctor in distress <laughs> <laughs> oh that'd be far too meta although fittingly evil for the celestial toy maker <laughs> do you think that would have worked i think it would have worked completely yeah Right, I know. someone really needs to get that scene and uh, and redub it with Doctor in the Doctor in distress. You know, the funny thing is, it probably fits better. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So they hear some noise outside, and the toy maker is on the balcony, and he gets into the the galvanic beam gun and points it at them, uh, and he decides to play the third game, but he wants to keep it in keeping with the rules of the other games and play this third game with the next Doctor. So he shoots Tennant and mm. he's going to regenerate. So Donna and Mel stay with him, which I thought was pretty nice, having Mel there as well. Yeah, yeah. But it just kind of fizzles out. Um, so that's when something maybe peculiar was going to happen. But before anything weird happened, do you think the scene was good? Um, This is where the story splits off for me because I think up until this point, I've really enjoyed the giggle. I thought it was a very strong and I really enjoyed it. Uh, the moment when uh, the Doctor gets um, like shot. shot. Yeah, did that take you by surprise at this stage? That really took me by surprise. I was like, oh, okay. And I, I thought what we were perhaps going to have was um, the Doctor regenerates and then we do actually bring the new the new doctor in and and then it's sort of like the rest of the story is is him defeating the toy maker and i thought it, it, it took me by surprise i didn't know what was going what was going on and then when we see the beginning of the regeneration and then it starts to fizzle out it was like, oh maybe maybe oh maybe so not i, I mean we've it... had like slow regenerations before yes 
um, it did. So it was interesting at this point because I, I was going, oh, what, what, what's going on? I felt like wrong footed in a good way. Um, I was just, oh, OK, what, what what's going to happen? And then we have the oddest regeneration we have ever seen. Yeah. Pull my arms. It's, it's, it's like saying pull my finger. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> <Pull> my <arm>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <we're... laughs> oh, doctor, you and your jokes. Um, yeah, I didn't know. I mean, what did you think when you were watching this? Uh, no idea. For all I know, he was one of the doppelgangers. And he'd be like, my arms are too long when they're pulled. And I don't know. Anything could have happened at this stage. But not this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what we actually get was just like, I did not expect this. And put some pants on. Yeah. Um, it took it took me a few moments to realise what was going on with the clothes. My wife alone was watching. She was like, "Wait, why? Why is it? Why is he not wearing any pants?" So I had to point out, "Look, he's took some of the clothes. He's left with some of the clothes, and they've just kind of shared them." Yeah, yeah. So tenant, uh, tenant's doctor is now going commando, and yeah, uh, uh, was wearing his pants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, he just kind of appears next to him, and then they push off, and then there's two of them. So first impressions of of fourteen, fifteenth Doctor. Which one is it? He's the fifteenth. Um so yes. first impressions of 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 Shudy um opening dialogue. What did you, what did you think? Um he really hits the ground running. Uh, in a good he, way. Like Yeah, yeah, in a good in a good way. And that's not a pun because I know that the scene contains a lot of running around after this. But He really um, hits the ground with balls. <laughs> Yeah, without any pants on. Um, despite the, uh, despite the the massive distracting thing, I mean, he is a good-looking guy, and he clearly keeps fit. And if you're going to show off someone's legs, <laughs> he's the guy. But, um, but despite this distraction thing of going, can't we just have him with some trousers on? <laughs> Goes on ridiculous. Way. But actually, you know, he 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 does a really good job, and um, he just he completely. T- even though we still have David Tennant's doctor there, he is pretty much sidelined straight away. Shugat was just takes ownership of it. And he's really joyous and upbeat. And it's it it's actually great to see. Um, what about you? Uh, yeah, precisely that. I think he comes across very confident yeah. initially. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. Um, he's got a certain charm to him. Yeah, yeah, um, he doesn't waste any time figuring out who he is. Sometimes we have a bit of a lapse in like towards like an identity crisis or, with the Doctor or figuring out who they are and it takes them the whole story. But he kind of was confident with who he was from the off, which is, I guess, is a contrast to David Tennant's Doctor at this stage. Although David Tennant's Doctor, even though he's kind of old and tired, He's not really bitter and resentful so much. Um, so there's not a massive stock difference between them. Mm. I disagree, actually. I do think there is a. I do think there is a, a massive difference between them, and I think. I mean, okay. The, just in general, what do you think about this type of regeneration? I don't mind it uh, in principle, but the aftermath leaves you with. Um, the Doctor's life kind of being splintered and the TARDIS has been duplicated 
Mm-hmm. Um, do you treat one doctor and one TARDIS as a copy uh, in your mind? Do you, how do you regard it? Um, I think maybe that's a concern going forward, but the idea of him, of him splitting doesn't necessarily bother me. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a funny one because um, I know that Russell T Davis said that there was there was going to be a, a massive change with the regeneration and it's going to annoy a lot of fans. I dare say it probably has. With me, it's 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 a bit of a funny one. It's I, I don't like it, but then I don't dislike it, and it's one of those funny things of going like my my preference is I like it when we we have that clear cut thing of the predecessor has you know has all intents and purposes died and we yeah. get his replacement I, I much i just prefer that and obviously this, this isn't that but at the same time i can see why they have done it because it's a complete clear cut of the preceding 60 years um where there is a lot of weight and emotional consequence of everything that the doctor has has dealt with and there comes a point where you're going well if we are constantly bound down you know tied down to this and constantly have to reference it we we constantly have to have doctors who are somehow psychologically scarred so what this does is completely jettison that in the way that we see it here tenants doctor uh has to go through the mental healing process basically deal with his mental health so that when Shudi Gatwa's doctor because basically the, the way that I understand it is Shudi Gatwa's doctor is the 15th but in the way that it's been regenerated he's just arrived a little bit earlier at some point Tennant will become Shudi Gatwa's doctor and through this split Tennant has to deal with his psychological stuff and we've got Shudi Gatwa's doctor who has dealt with that and he's not tied down by the baggage of because we get a list at the end of Mavic Shen um which was just what but you know actually you know if you're a Doctor Who fan and you know the the the, the events of the Daleks master plan that's really heavy um because we have the first death of a companion in that story we also have a lot of death during the course of the story and at the end of it the death of Adric gets mentioned. The key to time gets... You know, uh, well, and... another thing, Legopolis. And I thought that was very significant. And it's something that wasn't made clear back then and never spoken of since. But we, we discussed it when we reviewed it. Similar to the flux, mm. the events of Legopolis kind of destroyed half the universe. Yeah. Um, And this kind of confirms that, yeah? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought that that was an so, interesting, like, comparison to the flux, and how it was kind of on that level, and and how the doctor might have felt kind of accountable or or part responsible for that, or he, or, or that mm-hmm. was just kind of weighing down on his mind. Yeah. So all that makes sense, but what they've done is essentially right. We're dumping all that now, so the doctor's no longer affected by it. Which I think going forward makes sense. So then Shudi Gatwa, it's a beginning of a new era. Um, he he can completely own the part. He's not tied down to you know all these massive major events that have taken place. And it's it's a clear break, and we could crack on and hopefully just have big fun adventures. Yeah, and that's that's nice. Um, 
so it's it's one of those things where I'm I don't like it I don't dislike it but the thing is I can see why they've done it um just put some pants on um but uh, funny enough, I think but I can kind of buy that it was when they were duplicating the TARDIS I thought was a little bit I thought that was maybe a bit too it was. much but it, anyway it, what he did and why it worked I guess kind of made sense um yeah. So it was a very convenient um, situation they were in. <laughs> so immediately after we have the bi generation, um, they take on the toy maker uh, playing ball. Hmm. And the advantage I guess they have over him is two against one, and ultimately the toy maker misses a catch, and they win. Do you think that was kind of? believable as the the winning factor that there was two against one well i've got this was the big i mean this was the major part of the where it um i'm not as keen on this part of the story as i was previously it, it feels like the way that we've seen the celestial toy maker during the course of the story and the way that he's been built up i was actually quite disappointed that this is how he's defeated yeah i just it felt just a bit too easy it was a game he was confident playing and you just missed it. Mm. Um, and it was... It wasn't a battle of intellects or wits. Yeah, uh, it wasn't. And I felt like that, that's what we would want. Yeah. It wasn't even a game of chance. Um, it was just... He's just missing a catch. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, yeah, I was disappointed, yeah. to be honest, at, at this point. I, I, yeah. Mm. It didn't feel like uh, the strong... A strong moment nah, definitely not. Uh, to defeat the toy maker. Mm. So it was, it was a bit of a disappointment yeah. for me. So the doctor takes his prize as banishing the toy maker from existence forever. Mm. Um, and again, I, w- I wonder what the toy maker's prize would have been. Um, the doctor had tried to tease the toy maker into joining him. Um, he said we could, we could go, we could play for eternity we could be celestial um yeah you mentioned that you mentioned the title (laughs) is celestial yeah (laughs) yeah um but he doesn't fall for it he's like this 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 world's intoxicating with um the games these people play like putting blocks on blocks and all the lies and deceit stuff like that so he he ends up folding up (laughs) like he's house did and mel brings the box and he goes in the box and Kate mm-hmm. says you know put that in the deepest vault you can find I like to think it's the unit vault under Angel of the North maybe um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and then um, she says kind of put it in salt or something like that so that's another reference to the salt yes yeah yeah, yeah. but before he folds up he says my legions are coming Yes, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, I wonder what this means. Like, how how would he affiliate himself with other characters? I wonder. Well, the ones that immediately come to mind are, um, so would it be the master from the land of fiction? Oh, um, okay. Or you've got the, the white and black guardian. Would they fall oh, into that? They're just voodoo dolls now. Are they? Yeah, he didn't. Oh, yes, it's, I forgot about that. He actually mentions those, doesn't he? I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah. 
um, the gods of Ragnarok. Oh yeah. Or the um, would you include the Eternals? Would they be? Perhaps, yeah. Uh, so history seems to be restored to an extent when that guy who was the puppet who bought Stooky Bill, um, not Lady Bill, <laughs> uh, kind of returns to that day where the where the thing was being filmed. Um, and then the laugh disappears as well. So it's it's like none of it kind of happened almost. So Shooty's doctor comforts Tennant's doctor. Yeah, this was the thing because uh, I, I did like that moment because I remember when I was first watching it going, I'm not sure if I like this regeneration and this way of defeating the Celestial Toymaker is a bit disappointing. But you did have moments within it which I liked and uh, Shooty Gat was doctor comforting and supporting Tennant. I just thought, I went, you know what, I just... For, for the faults you know that i'm finding it at this but it's just i do like this moment it is nicely done. yeah he's a nice guy <laughs> yeah yeah just put some pants on the tooth is picked up by a woman's hand much like the hand from what do you would call it um the last of the time lords no oh yeah it may, it may be actually called, yeah. yes anyway yeah yeah um it was a bit of an odd one because we seem to, the, the way that the camera angle, we seem to go at the very edge of the helipad where the tooth <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah, Who, who's over Just, there? Yeah, who's over there either hovering or standing very precari- yeah. precariously on the edge. I know, because, I mean, they kind of implied that when they first did this with a hand, on the commentary, they just called it the hand of the Rani, um, which I thought was quite funny. And they kind of implied that they're not quite sure who this hand is yet. But it made sense that it was the master's wife when they when they did bring it back. As disappointing as that was, mm. it made complete sense. Um, yes, and yeah, I wonder, true, yeah. it'll not be his wife this time, I'm guessing. But I no, wouldn't have thought so. Unless it's Missy. I don't think it is, but I kind of like the idea if it mm. were. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm guessing there's not a plan. And when the plan does come around he'll think of a clever plan that he'll claim he had seeded back then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, whatever, Russell. Yeah, whatever. Bullshit. Whatever. Uh, So so 14 shows 15 round the TARDIS and um, he, Tenant's Doctor, wonders how how the hell this is going to work going forward. Shooty makes a point that Tennant's doctor's getting quite old and then he highlights his journey from what you said earlier like he, he talks about his trial as exile key to time Legopolis um Adric River Sarah Jane gets a mention um another confirmation that the character herself has died um and Mavic Cheng as well Donna kind of also says that the Doctor needs to stop and she kind of believes that he changed his face just to kind of find her and come home. Do we kind of go with that belief? As a, yeah. I mean, it, again, it makes sense. It, it, I don't know what... It's, it's like yeah. he's got he's got the closure he wanted because we we I don't think we were much of a fan of his 
his final words when he was like, I don't want to go. And maybe, yeah. yeah, maybe he wasn't ready to go and he'd lost so much. Uh, and maybe, yeah, maybe it's, maybe he didn't need to come back because he wasn't ready to go. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, maybe she was the reason. This is where Shooty's Doctor has a thought. Maybe the toy maker's domain is still active, so he pulls out a massive wooden mallet and bashes the TARDIS into two. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, but whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Doubles it. Fifteenth um, Doctor almost makes a break for it, which is very typical Doctor, um, but they manage to say goodbye. Um, then... Tennant and Donna go for a family dinner, which includes Mel. Um, and this is his kind of happy ending. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this was good then? Uh, yes. I mean, as I say, I'm not entirely sold on the the bi regeneration thing, but the way in, w- but nonetheless, d- despite not being like a massive fan of it, I mean, I don't despise it. As I say, as I said before, I can see the reasons why they did it and they make sense but the way in which it was handled even though i'm not a massive fan i did think it was it was done quite well and as i said there were those nice moments uh the 15th doctor comforting the 14th i like that moment this is quite a nice moment um just having you know a nice nice you know nice meal um yeah it was it was it was a good scene how about you yeah i thought it was quite nice and we had mel there as well mad auntie mel and Wilf was off <laughs> shooting yeah. moles with force fields, which I thought was nice. That was, yeah, I wasn't, was, mm, okay. It's funny, it's humorous, but it doesn't really quite tie into to Wilf's character. I think that could have been... <laughs> why why, why would he be shooting better, moles? Written a bit better. But, yeah. yeah. Well, exactly. you know, they cause a lot of bother. Oh. Yeah, but it wasn't Wilf, uh, like, wasn't it a big thing that he never fired a gun That's or something? right. Christ. Yeah. <laughs> oh my that god was, that was just like for all those years I d- for all those years I didn't uh, fire a gun sonnet <laughs> oh my god just letting rip now you need to get out there and tell people this <laughs> I mean you've just said it on this maybe it'll maybe it'll get out there somehow <laughs> <laughs> well um, but yeah that was a nice dinner and um, I'd like to point out that cauliflower cheese goes with everything yeah i was just uh, i know that was a sort of like oh what you like uh bringing in another cauliflower cheese is yeah. nice think of something it doesn't go with um ice cream uh, okay yeah, it doesn't go with that <laughs> at all. No, I, su- I suppose you could say that, you know, but that's cheating, Liam. You'd, yeah, you wouldn't mix yeah. a, like a main with a dessert. Um, what it wouldn't go... Right, okay, I think of a savoury savoury dish it wouldn't go with. Um, I was going to say fish, but then it would depend on how you would cook it, I suppose. Yeah. I wouldn't have it with noodles. Uh, Maybe not. Yeah. Mm. Okay, I'll, I'll, n- noodles, yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> uh, maybe like, like yeah. I don't know. Maybe you could have it with like a battered cod, or you could have it with some nice salmon as well. 
and no, uh, mm, maybe. Yeah. I always like having it with the uh, crusty buttered bread. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the perfect combo for yeah. it. Totally. <laughs> I want cauliflower yeah. cheese now. I'm getting hungry. Yeah. Well, we'll uh, we'll we'll start to wrap it up now. I think we've uh, we've kind of covered all the story there. So the credits rolled. Let's see if we got any listener feedback. I don't know. Did we? Uh, I think we may have had one or two comments on Twitter. Oh. I uh, didn't check the website. Oh, yes, uh, we've got one from Sonia on the website. Uh, Sonia said, It was a romp. I love Shooty instantly. By generation was meh. And I'm I'm not <laughs> sure how I feel about the ending still. But uh, I had a good time. Oh, great. Uh, Alex Gibbons has got in contact on uh, Twitter. Uh Sorry, Alex, I, I'm going to have to interpret some of this. I hope, I hope I get it right. Um, Alex has said, the best one of the three, love the toy maker. I know people hated it, but I love the bi-regeneration. And I think the 15th Doctor is going to be amazing. Cannot wait for new season and goblins. Have a great Christmas. Oh, thanks, Alex. Hope you have a great Christmas yeah. as well. But yeah, um, yeah, there's something about... Uh, yeah, I think I think Shady Gat was clearly going to own the role, yeah. so... And I, I thought I thought the um, toy maker was great in this. I had I went into this with concerns that you know I don't I don't Neil Patrick Harris he's no Adele I don't hate him, <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, no, I wasn't necessarily a massive fan. I didn't I, I I I've never went and watched his stuff and thought oh that's that's particularly funny or he's a phenomenal actor or whatever. So I thought I thought yeah. maybe they just they just hired a name for this, and it would be a popular choice for the show. But even though I had these kind of concerns, I loved. I think what's the word like the range he's done? Like he does all the accents, um, mm. but he put the right emphasis on each one, and, mm. um. He did play off with the Doctor quite well, um, so I'm. I really enjoyed his performance. Yes, I agree with you. I I knew it was a big coup for for the show because I'm getting him uh, cast because I know that he's a big name. But like you, I've never really like gone on my way to watch anything that he's in or. Ma- I'm not saying he's a poor actor, but I've never really like massively rated him. Although I did think he was good in Gone Girl, but um, yeah, I thought he was he was great as the toy maker. And yeah, as you said, with the way that he performed, the emphasis was always in the right way. And I, I do love that thing where the way that he says that Clara was killed by a bird, and just the mm-hmm. brief facial expression that that he pulls of just going, and that's bloody ridiculous because it is. But uh, yeah, uh, I like that. Uh, the bi regeneration. Thing, I think it works within the context of the story, although I do prefer the way that we've seen Yeah, I hope it doesn't become the normal thing where the Doctor just splits every time. Yeah, I agree with that. It, it, isn't in, it isn't actually written within this episode, but Russell T. Davis has said that as far as he's concerned, every Doctor now has gone through a bi-regeneration. What? Yeah. And that I definitely don't like. Like if 
I hope I hope um, that it's sort of like right. That's his idea, and it's not sort of like canonized within the show because I I, I personally think that idea is naff. I do think it helps with the headache of thinking how how linear these doctors go, like with regards to like all these obscure ones, like the Valyard or the Curator. Um. But it creates its its own headache. So when Hartnell regenerates to Troughton, Hartnell's still there. <sighs> Maybe. I mean... When Davison regenerates into Baker, Davison's still there. Is that what... Has he, has he went out and said this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So, as I said, I, as much as I'm like, I'm not, I'm like, as I said, I don't... I didn't love it. I didn't dislike it. Um, I could see why they did it in the context of the giggle and it was handled quite well. But I hope it's just contained here. This wider suggestion that, um, you know, um, when Pertwee regenerates into Tom Baker, John Pertwee's still hanging around. Uh, With no clothes on, when probably. McCoy- yeah, yeah. Pro- oh God. Uh, just yeah, reliving the uh, the shower scene in Spearhead from Space, but now in Robot. It doesn't make any sense. My brain hurts. Or McCoy regenerating in McGann with all that gurning going on, but McCoy's still there. But he huh? just fell under the table. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, Russell. It's a crap idea. Stop it. Um, but anyway, whatever. Yeah. I mean, if he's looking for an excuse to bring them back, this is a bit of a stretch. But, yeah. 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 But anyway, whatever. <laughs> is that it for feedback? Uh, yes, I think it is, yeah. Oh, uh, do we still look <sighs> at the poll? Okay, I'm on it now. Um, <laughs> okay. Right. Either our polls are being abused... Um, attacked by robots or all these specials have been phenomenally bad but our poll says 91% have voted bad 2% average and 5% good I see so we if we but none of that matters yeah because how do how do we rate okay what's your rating Rob let's get to the heart of this so I think Russell is a very good writer and he has some good ideas. Brave ideas and risky, but sometimes these ideas don't translate well to screen, in my view. Uh, So, I don't know. Could the bioregeneration have been executed better? I don't know. Um... Uh, but yeah, as on a whole, I think the episode was wrote very well. I thought the Doctor and Donna, as they had done in the previous two specials, their performance was amazing. Uh, we got some great supporting characters. Kate Stewart um, regularly comes back to the show. Uh, I'm always glad to see her there, and of course Mel was um she had some great moments and they didn't shy away from bringing her to like the foreground she was even there for the regeneration which i thought was a nice touch 
um, and her dialogue was kind of kind of suited her well. But yeah, I was I was thoroughly entertained with it and and shocked, and it gave me things to think about, which Doctor Who does <laughs> uh, constantly shocks you, confuses you, annoys you. That's what it does best. Um, <laughs> but there's a lot of this story to like. The music was done well. Visually, it was good, and the acting was good, and for the most part, the writing was good. So, yeah, yeah. I think it was a very good story. Oh, good, good. Um, yeah, uh, despite the use of the Spice Girls, the fact that um, uh, I thought that the, the toy maker was defeated a bit too easily at the end, and I haven't fully warmed to the idea of the bi regeneration, but as I said, I don't dislike it and it was handled reasonably well uh despite that i think actually for for the most part i think it was a good engaging story um it had some great scenes in it great performances in it uh yeah i, I liked it so i I, mean, I think it's definitely better than average so i would say it was good um but just one final question rob of the three specials which is your favorite well the star beast um it wasn't anything phenomenal to me because I'd read the comic. We discussed it recently. Some of the new things it brought was um, it was either nice or minor, or in the case of Yasmin's char- um, character Rose, it was divisive and curious the way they'd done it. Um, so the first one maybe maybe not my favorite. Um, second one I loved a lot. Maybe the second one's my favorite, Wild Blue Yonder. But I'd probably say the third one. I'd be more inclined to go and watch again. Oh, okay. So re rewatchability. Maybe the third in my current state of mind. But yeah, I think the second's my favorite. Yeah, same here. So I think I would rate them uh, similarly. Actually, the Star Beast. I'm. Uh, of the two versions that we have, I much prefer the comic. Um, the TV series was reasonably adapted. It was a bit rushed towards the end. It's reasonably entertaining. It's got some good moments in it, but I think the other two specials are far, far stronger. Of of those two, Wild Blue Yonder is is out and right my favourite. Um, and the giggle's good as well. So yeah, I'd go Wild Blue Yonder... The Giggle is second, and then the Star Beast th- uh, third. Yeah, good ranking. But, um, yeah, we'd still love to know what people thought. You can get in touch, leave your feedback. Um, rate it. You know, we want to get that poll back up to good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah, if, if you haven't had a chance to get your thoughts read out, do send them in, because we'd love to hear from you. Um, but that's it for today. Um, I hope you've enjoyed our discussions on the entire 60th. We will be back with you. Can we say when we're back? Yeah, at this stage we can. We'll be back with you on Christmas Day, Christmas morning. Uh, So what what the heck are we going to talk about, Liam? Yeah, so uh, for Christmas, our present to you is reviewing Canine and Company. Yeah. Uh, we just thought, well, obviously Christmas Day, we'll go for a, a Christmas-themed Doctor Who story that was uh, broadcast 
20th of December 1981 and it's set during the Christmas period so we just thought well it's an obvious choice so that's what we're going to be looking perfect. at perfect uh, yeah so hope you're all well yep Alonzi from me and Al- <laughs> Alonzi from him bye everyone <laughs>